0: You're
1: listening to a Wheeler Center podcast. That's how I connect to that childlike joys. I like stay open to letting myself go on that journey of curiosity in the first place because it's a practice. It's not something you do like just because it's like a practice of like letting yourself be curious.
0: Thank you everyone for joining us for this very special event presented by the Wheeler Centre as part of the Postcards from Abroad series. I would like to respectfully acknowledge that I'm joining you today from the land of the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung people and the Bunurong, Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation. I pay respect to their elders past and present and to the elders of all communities this conversation reaches. The land JvN is broadcasting from as well as any First Nations people who will be joining us in the digital streaming space. This was and always will be Aboriginal land and I honour the ongoing caretaking of this land, these waterways and this sky, recognising that if we want to continue to live on this planet, we must always turn to the leadership and wisdom of First Nations people to lead the way. Also taking a moment to recognise that gender transcendence has existed for all of time immemorial. It is not a left-wing fad or a Western colonial invention, but rather exists in many cultures around the world. And I extend respect to Aboriginal brother boys and sister girls on this land. Welcome, everyone. My name is Navor Zisson. I use they, them pronouns, and I'm the author of two books about gender identity, Finding Nivor, or Finding Nevo, if you will, a memoir on gender transition, and The Pronoun Lowdown, a guidebook on all things pronouns related, which JVN is actually in as one of my pioneers and trailblazers. I run workshops in schools and workplaces on creating inclusive spaces, and today I'm joined by someone who really needs no introduction, but I shall give one anyway, Jonathan Van Ness. Jonathan Van Ness, who uses he, she, and they pronouns, is an Emmy-nominated television personality, New York Times best-selling author, podcaster, comedian, and ha- hairstylist to the stars. They star on Netflix's Emmy award-winning reboot series, Queer Eye, and is the host and executive producer of the Netflix series, Getting Curious with Jonathan Van Ness, based on the popular podcast of the same name. In 2020, Jonathan launched JVN, a clean and sustainable hair care line that sees all beauty serves all beauty and honours the uniqueness in each of us. Today, we are here to discuss your brand new book, Love That Story, Observations from a Gorgeously Queer Life. Thank you for being here.
1: Thanks for having me. And can I just say, like... I like your introduction to me was like fierce, but the introduction of the event was so fierce. Like you need to like, just, I need to give you a major clap for how good that was. I was just like, so amazed. Love so much. Yes. I love it. I have to tell you that I,
0: thank you for being here. I also have to tell you that I almost shaved my hair off not long before this event. And then I found out I was doing it and I was like, Thank God I found out because I needed the curls for you, and I'm
1: so your curls came to slay the day, honey. I pinned my screen the second that I laid eyes on you, and you were just <sighs> like, yeah, just stunned. The texture,
0: thank I'm you. Obsessed. Oh my God, wow. I appreciate that. So I don't also, know you're about you, your
1: pants and everything. I'm sorry to keep interrupting. No, look please. You- Like, take no prisoners. I love this look so much, honey. Let them know. Thank you.
0: I come from a long culture of interruptions, so I am into it. (laughs) Uh, So I wanted to say, I don't know about you, um, but I am overwhelmingly excited. So if you would indulge me, I thought that we could just take a second before we launch into our questions to take a deep breath together in through our noses and out through our mouths on the count of three and land in this divine space. And I also invite anyone who's watching to do so with us and then we can all arrive together. All right, so on the count of three, are you ready? One, two, three. Beautiful. Thank you. So you're on a book tour right now you're recovering from COVID, you're doing a million different things. One of the first questions that I wanted to ask you is what would it take for you to feel safe, grounded and cared for in this conversation?
1: Wow, what a good question to start off with. Um, I'm feeling like super safe with you. And um, I mean, I really feel like I'm open to talk about you know, everything that's in the book. And I think I really left it on the dance floor, so to speak, um, <laughs> in this work. So I'm, I am I feel very safe and I'm so honoured that you took your time to have this conversation with me.
0: Oh my goodness, I feel the same way. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I loved both of your books so much and something that really stood out to me was just how vulnerable, transparent and honest you are in both of them. I'd love to know what your writing process was like and how different it looked for Love That Story versus Over the Top.
1: Sure. So Love That Story was really this very natural response um, that came from writing Over the Top. Both books started as a collection of a lot of, like, creative writing and um, me realizing that there was a story to tell there, and then from the group of creative writing comes an outline um, Cause I found that I can't just like conceptualize a project and then like write it to fruition without like a guide that's going to take me there and that's what like the outlining process does for me um and so that's really kind of how it starts is from that kind of guide and I think the way that the process is to speak to love that story that was really interesting is that I thought after my book tour from Over the Top that I was like done writing for a long time. I was like, that was really intense. And wow, that was like so much harder and more intense than I thought it was going to be. And then my response to that was to start writing again. And then it was like, (laughs) maybe like five more months. And I was like, oh my God, I accidentally just like have a lot more material to write something new. And I also, in the pandemic, I all of a sudden had all of this more time. And I think one thing that's so different about becoming, like, JVN uh, versus, like, Jonathan Van Ness, which is, like, you know, saying, like, who I am versus, like, how people perceive me is that, like, Mm -hmm. I can't really, uh, like, uh, like, illuminate people on, like, the way that I think about issues that I'm passionate about, whether it's the prohibition of marijuana or the role that gender plays in our lives or um, white privilege. I can't talk about those things the way that I want to like on Twitter and on like Instagram the way that I used to be able to because I can't even get a full thought out without like 50,000 people, you know, attacking me or calling me like whatever. So I think that's one thing about writing this book that feels so cathartic is that it's a place where I can really like writing now has become this outlet for me to like connect to myself in a way that feels so organic and natural because I can process the world around me and also fully develop my thoughts and my um, my experience with people in a way that I can't really do anywhere else and in 150
0: characters. <laughs>
1: Yeah, or less, you know, so Mm -hmm. it's, I I love that about writing that I can, like, go on a journey and be vulnerable about sharing that journey with people. Um, And that feels like a more precious gift, the more that I'm in a public space, Mm -hmm. uh, to get to really connect authentically. And I feel like writing is the place where I connect, um, almost, well, it's like that and like, kind of stand up comedy, I feel like are the places where I show up is the most full aspect of myself.
0: Mm, yeah, that's so beautiful. And that leads really well into my next question as well, which was that at the very start of Love That Story, you, you speak about some of the ramifications of writing memoir. You write that it's like swallowing a couple of Advil after being run over daily by a Mack truck, which I can totally relate to and hadn't necessarily anticipated when writing my memoir. So I wonder, like, how did you care for yourself in that process And what were some of the lessons you learned in your first book writing experience that may have helped this time around?
1: Yeah, I think ultimately I feel like when the book first like came out, over the top came out, I coped by working and just threw myself into work and it wasn't probably totally healthy. And then I met my now husband and I think between meeting my husband and then, um, moving out of new york and moving to texas and slowing down and just the pandemic kind of like changing my pace and changing my Mm -hmm. goals and kind of just laying bare like more of like where i am in my life and what i want to do it made it more clear for me um and that's i think kind of how i cared for myself is that i slowed down and i connected Mm -hmm. to relationship and i connected to which is something that I've always wanted to do. And I just never had, like, I never met the person. I never had the time. And this was something that I just, I felt was something that I just ended up being something that was really caref- or, uh, caring and and restorative for me. Um, my relationship and then, like, moving and then writing another book was, like, really kind of how I've, and cats. There's, a, there's mm-hmm. like, five cats in there that cats really show up for me. Like just being a cat (laughs) parent, like it's my favorite form of self-care.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's queer culture. I love that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The section in the book about Quincy's queer history, the small town that you grew up in was just fascinating. And I love queer history. And especially after reading your first book and your experiences in Quincy, I just wonder like, what was it like for you researching and uncovering those stories?
1: It makes it was actually really cathartic because I think, and I write about this in the book. I think part of what is so isolating about, uh, or one isolating aspect of being in our you know queer community is that, like, at least speaking for myself, I always felt like I was like the first one, and I always felt like I was like, there's no one else that's ever like come from here that's been like this, and like we know what's wrong with me, and realizing that there's such a rich tapestry of people who have come before me that have been totally in our community. There's nothing that's like, that I'm doing that hasn't been done before was so healing and feels so cool that there's like so many people who have blazing, who have been blazing their own trails and making a world that was more accepting that allowed for me to become a trailblazer and allowed for me to like, and, and I think there was were people in my hometown that I didn't even know about.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I, I think that in this world of so much negativity and so much like divisiveness, it's important for us to look for place, like look for people that have done so much for us and look for things to celebrate. Cause there is so much to be aware of, and that means that we do have to work together and we do have to be aware, but we also have to be aware of like the beauty and the resilience. And that was something that I wanted to highlight in that essay.
0: Yeah, I think that speaks so beautifully to what I often think about with activism of, like, it's not the instant gratification of social media where, you know, you want to do a thing and then it's just out there. It's like this life cycle of generations where we are, you know, sowing the seeds of plants that we will never bear the fruit of, but at the same time, like, eating the fruit of our ancestors and those who have blazed those those paths before us, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. so beautiful. It's like we're doing it because we're like really thinking about future generations. Like we know we might not see these changes in our lifetimes. And that leads me to my next question, because this book covers so many different topics from grief, cannabis legislation, turf, queer history body positivity and neutrality, which was very important for me to read at the time, racism and white supremacy. And I, I wondered what your relationship is like with activism and whether you call yourself an activist.
1: I think what I call myself as an artist and a storyteller, and I think that artists have always been in their own ways, like truth tellers in their time. And I think that truth telling and storytelling and activism all have like overlapping or like intersectional traits. Um so I don't I think it's like such I don't know why I get so stumped. I think <laughs> that I am an activist, but in like for me, what feels like activism is, like, the connections that i made in my life and people mm. whose lives that I've been able to reach and move, um, especially, like, people that fall much more on the conservative spectrum and who I'm, like, begging, like, people like my dad to, like, see our humanity and understand the history that we come from and understand the role that they may have played in that mm. due to whatever privilege that they have access to and understanding that, like acknowledging privilege doesn't make you a bad person or doesn't make you like, you know, this like evil person for like acknowledging that privilege has existed, that you have also benefited. Like two truths can be true at once, mm-hmm. which is that like, and I get into that in this book. And so, but I think that it's also important for us to show up to difficult conversations around race, privilege, um, political discourse democracy uh in what show up as yourself and i show up in these conversations as myself and through research and experience that i have done you know as myself so i think what do i label myself i don't know i don't think that's as important is that we do show up to these conversations and say like i'm not an activist this isn't what i do we are all activists in our own ways in our own experiences and sharing that so I think that in a public persona way, I don't care if people see me as an activist and I don't know if people see me as one or if I see myself as one, but I do see myself as someone who like wants to show up in these conversations and wants to give their all like to these conversations that I talk about in this book and talk about publicly because um, I think they're important and they move me.
0: Mm. Yeah, thank you so much. And I really felt exactly that way reading your book like I feel like you really succeeded in in doing that just because of how like generous you are as well with where you're at in your journey and and there's so much transparency around like shortcomings and areas that you still need to learn which I think is actually so rare to find like even in conversations of unlearning whiteness or white privilege you know recognizing like I still have a really long way to go and people have paved this path before me but I'm going to bring you along on that journey with me rather than, you know, coming at it from this point of kind of a a self pedestal or like a looking down on. And I think that that's really what helps shift people across that way. And that's really what I felt
1: in your book in a big way. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. Thank you for saying that.
0: So as a trans person, I never felt represented in any of the media I consume, I collected characters and storylines like fractures of glass, collaging them together until I could vaguely see my own reflection, but it was always distorted by the cracks. Your episode of Getting Curious on Netflix, Can We Say Bye-Bye to the Binary, was one of those full reflective moments, something I so rarely see in mainstream platforms, What does representation mean to you and what has connecting with these communities meant for your development as a queer and non-binary person?
1: Oh my God. Full tears. Oh my God. Oh my God. Um, that was like the, like nicest thing anyone's ever said to me in my life. Um, (laughs) it means so much to me. I mean, even just like moments like that, it's like, are just so important to me. And it's like why I do that work. Um. yeah it's like why I do the work I think what's what I well yeah it's just like it's it's such a huge reason of why I do the work and it just means so much to me for you saying that and sharing that and just it's like yeah it just means so much so thank you for saying that and um, what I really was earnestly thinking as that happened is that like then like once I took in the compliment I was like But it's not enough. There's all these, like, right-wing conservative, like, people. And, like, I can't turn this, like, representation into, like, legislative wins. And, like, how do I, like, make life better, like, legislatively? And, like, but then I was, like, take the compliment, Queen. You are (laughs) doing as much as you can. Uh, You know, so, yeah, it's hard. Because I feel, like, one really difficult thing about being a queer content creator or, like, a queer storyteller your artist who has a platform now is that there is so few of us Mm. there's like maybe like 20 like (laughs) like people who like have like I don't know maybe more but it's like there's so much pressure Mm. to like get the opportunity to tell the stories because it just you have to fight so hard to get the representations like not easy To like get to a point to like tell a story like getting curious on Netflix like that wasn't like a breezy journey and it's like so that part is a lot of pressure and I wish that there was like more opportunity for more people like me to show up fully in the entertainment industry and like be able Mm -hmm. to like have more opportunity to tell their stories.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's such a big thing that you're doing though, right? You're like trying to like shove a beautiful heel in the door and open it up for like lots of other people to be able to take that platform. And I think that that leads to it. And I don't know if if it's helpful for you, but I think that, you know, as like activists or people in social justice spaces, like I think we spend a really long time looking up at the peak of the mountain of how far we have to go and constantly like almost daunted by that. Um and I think that you know, the release of this book and so much of the work that you have done is an opportunity to actually like set out a beautiful picnic rug and look out at the view just for a little bit, you know, like just take that moment to be like, we have actually come so far, you know, I came out as trans in 2013 and like the environment that we are in right now is so different from that. Like, I didn't know that trans men existed that non-binary people existed that you could be like trans and super femme or any of like i just had no one i didn't have you to look to or anyone else and even in that time like things have changed so much so i really hope that you get to have some of those picnic moments through this
1: book tour thank you uh you sound like my fierce ceo coach who is like <laughs> helping handle my life i love here that yeah
0: Um, I have a kind of difficult question for you. In your writing, you reflect on all of these painful experiences that you've had and speak to how far you've come and how different your reality is now. And I guess I wondered, like, do you think that we can get to a point of privilege or even just removal from our past selves that means that we might struggle to empathise with oppression and marginalisation? And how do you keep yourself grounded?
1: Yeah, I think... Well, I definitely know that it's easy for me to connect to my own, like to the depth of my own oppression and marginalization. So like when I was in like the throes of my uh, Matthews or like the throes of like the recovery from addiction or dealing with my HIV diagnosis and like my worst or, you know, struggling through abuse, being like a, you know, a powerless kid who was getting like, sexually abused or, you know, bullied, like the depths of that and understanding the powerlessness of those situations and the des- the desperation of those situations, I will always understand the connection to that because I have PTSD and like, I can re- feel it in, you know, three seconds. And also I will never know what it means to be a a person of color, a black person, a black trans person, you know, like, so you can't, Identify or know oppression that has not befallen you. And you also need to know that. That that like I will never know what it's what it is what the oppression will feel like to be like, for instance, like a Native American or you know, a native person here, or a First Nations person in Australia. Like, I it I won't know that. And so it's important for me to know that I don't know that. Mm. But it's also important for me to know as a queer person who has experienced who experienced intersectional marginalization um, that there are people who do not have the privilege and the financial security that my newfound financial security has provided me. So I think the the long-winded answer of that is, is that I think how I stay grounded to, to my past and what I've been through is like, through PTSD and through trauma and that <laughs> yeah. I, you know, still know what it feels like. Um, and I think that, the, that for people that are trauma survivors, that's something that we hold in common is that I think that we like, at least speaking for myself, I still, I still know those parts. I've worked with those parts of myself um, and still knowing that like my trauma and what I've been through is not other people's, experience and be able to differentiate that so Mm. that's like why when I in writing love that story like I feel like it's really important for me to stay in my lane and like not try to like speak to marginalization that isn't mine and speak Mm. to like approaching that or advising that you know it I'm like I need to be an ally for people in racism because I'm white Mm. you Mm. know
0: yeah, totally. That was a great answer to a challenging question. So thank you. You did really well. <laughs> um, I want to say that researching for this event was deeply healing for me and also so much fun. Both of your books are so grounded and generous and you're getting curious episode- episodes buoyed me with delight and wonderment. And what are some things that you love to do to connect with your inner child and endless curiosity?
1: Well, one thing that I like to do is, like, run with it. Like, if I get, like, a curious moment, like, I run with it. Um, Whether that's, like, you know, finding insects, like, all of a sudden fascinating since, like, you know, the cicada, like, out, or, like, the cicadas of, like, 2020 still haven't gotten over insects. We did an episode about it on Getting Curious, you know? Well, like, three on the podcast and then one in the TV show. So it's, like, (laughs) allowing yourself to run with that curiosity and, like, question your opinions on things. I never would have thought that I was like into insects until all of a sudden I got confronted with them again. And all of a sudden I was like, interest, you know? (laughs) So I think being open to that. So often I feel like people that I experience like are open to that curiosity within themselves. And I think that that's how I connect to that childlike joy is I like stay open to letting myself go on that journey of curiosity in the first place. Because it's a practice. It's not something you do like just because it's like a practice of like... Mm letting yourself be curious. Mm. Um, and then, you know, some of the things that I come back to connecting to like gymnastics has always been something that makes me like connect with my childlike joy, watching figure skating is something that's always made me or figure skating in real life has always made me connect with my childlike joy. So some of it's stuff that you've always known, but sometimes it's also like remaining open to new things that, the, that, that present themselves.
0: Mm. Yeah, like for beautiful. instance, when yeah. I
1: was in Australia in February, 2020, honey, I was like, right before the world shut down, I was like, these trees down here are so interesting. And I have been, because like the roots on your guys' trees are like different like, than our trees. It's like, they're just like different looking. Ever since then, we've been looking for like the perfect tree expert to come on Getting Curious, the podcast, which we found like maybe six months ago. And now we're having them on again to teach us about like how and why trees bud.
0: So it's like you might get
1: the crawl in your head for curiosity like at some point and you don't have time but then allow yourself to come back to it you know what i mean yeah
0: totally i love that but i also think that you should probably come back to australia too right to like it understand may the, may not be in the
1: works for like several reasons like you heard it here first like there are things that are super duper in the works as we speak
0: okay well if you need a home-cooked meal when you're in melbourne you just hit me up baby <laughs>
1: Oh my God. I can't wait. I had like some of the best snacks in Melbourne ever.
0: (laughs) Yes. Um, I loved your episode of getting curious about trans joy. And I wondered if you could talk to your experience of trans joy or witnessing of it in others.
1: I think I'm, like, a really lucky person because I get to experience a lot of trans joy in my life with, like, my friends. Like, whether it's my friend Eloke or Ashley Marie Preston, um, which I always refer to as, like, a full triple name because I just think it's so fierce. Um, Or, like, my friend Joshua Travis. Like, I have a lot of friends who I get to, like, see their queer joy on, like, a daily, which I think is just, like, such a blessing for me. Um, And I also get to see it, like, in the world. But I think what's so important about trans and queer joy is that and I didn't like invent this term I like learned it from my friend Alok but like so often our narrative of like queer and trans experience is like tragedy and triumph and it's not like all the cool stuff in between like I made this omelet I think is cool on Instagram or I did like you know some completely like otherwise like not just you know just like a thing just you know just did a thing give me some of that too like I love that too like I love like let me see your review of bread. Like, I want to <laughs> see, like, I just want to see, like, our daily lives, too, and just examples of, like, us thriving, living our daily lives. Like, what's your... Or, like, if you're an artist, like, let me see you paint. If you're a, you know, a skater, let me see you skate. If you're a writer, let me see you write. Like, just just living your life and chasing your dreams and your passion in the world that we live in as a queer person as, or as a trans person... <clears throat> is an example of queer and trans joy. So just you doing you, yours. Yeah, I feel I'm like so there's right a lot
0: of that. trans joy in your, like, pumpkin-growing adventures.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm honestly, like, really stressed out right now about it because oh, it's no. brought to my attention that I, like, overcrowded my pumpkin cage, and there's, like, I planted too many in there, and then I confirmed it with my plant expert, the tree person who I'm at, Beranda, who I'm interviewing again, I'm getting curious. And she was kind of like, yeah, it's true. And I was like, oh my God, So I, you also are hearing it first because I haven't posted this content yet, but you guys oh can hear goodness. it now, it's fine. I had to transplant two of those eight pumpkins out of that cage. So now I have like six in there, but even the six is like maybe a little bit too much for such like, like it's like a generous size bed, but it's not like as big as like, it's just like a whole thing. So I just.
0: Well, I'm sending like all like, of my trans joy so towards your nutrient, pumpkins.
1: Rich thoughts to the pumpkins. Yes, I yes. can do that. Yep. Done, done. My overzealousness, honey. I always overplan. I do that. I freak out. It's and so I fair. Overplant.
0: I hear you. I get it. Uh, <laughs> you're you're often asked in interviews, and particularly after Over the Top came out, to speak about some of the most traumatic moments in your life. And so I wondered, what is a question or some questions that you wish you were asked more?
1: Well, kind of, like, everyone that you've, like, asked so far was really good. <laughs> yes. Like, about just the like, writing process and, like, you know, trans and queer joy. Um, I think one question that I wish that I got more was, like, how can people be better allies? Um, like, how can people take on these issues for themselves better? Um, I also wish I got more questions from journalists who actually, like, read my work. Um, because that's like another thing of just like reading the title and like your chapter titles and then like just taking a few swings in the dark on like questions that like must kind of apply but like then I can tell from the interview that just like you didn't really read it and maybe you read like some articles or whatever so like just generally like thoughtful questions by people who have read your work is like also really fun
0: yes I hear
1: that oh my god <laughs> Uh, you
0: say that your first book is about how you learned to love yourself despite all of the reasons you could have chosen not to. Self-care is such a big part of what you bring to Queer Eye and all of your work. So what does self-care mean to you and how did you get to a point of choosing to love yourself?
1: Well, it's interesting because I think that I first thought that self-care was like taking a bath, like doing your hair mask whilst taking a bath, like things that were more like beauty related. Then I started to think of self-care as being, like, anything that, like, makes you feel connected to, like, your childlike joy. And, like, your childlike joy could be, you know, lots of stuff. But it could also be, like, activism or, like, using your voice or, like, you know, learning, um, you know, even kind of doing, like, some of what I've done. And love that story about, like, sharing what you've learned, like, being curious. Like, some of that could even be self-care. Like, that's what you if that's, like, what you felt like was in service of connecting into that, like, childlike joy. But then i just realized, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately, actually, that, like, self-care is really, like, doing things that allow us to tend to our highest self, like, to our most authentic self. So whether that means, like, connecting to your community, connecting to your inner child, connecting to... um Something that's in purpose of, like, your highest self, which is, like, your most clear, connected, like, authentic version of, like, who you are. And I think that dealing with all of those other parts of ourselves that, like, can get in that driver's seat and, like, we identify with and, like, takes us out of our centered self, self self-care is really, like, doing anything that gets those other parts to, like, which is trauma. You know, like, getting them to settle down so that we can really, like, fulfill our purpose.
0: Yeah, I love that. Like, self care is care for your higher self because I I think it is really that, like, you know, bubble baths and like nail polish and stuff. And we don't think about like taking accountability as self care or like going through really hard, deep therapy and like self work that is really painful as self care. But that is like long term self care, right? Not the like instantaneous self care. And, you know, I think as well, like, sometimes we focus a lot on self-care and that, um, can do a bit of an injustice to those who are systemically marginalized and need further support outside of just themselves. And so I wanted to focus as well on a moment for a moment on mutual aid and community care, uh, and ask you about your relationship with those things.
1: Just about like with mutual aid and community care.
0: Yeah. Like what does communicate community care mean for you in your, like, daily life and your self-care practices and like being you know as you said like watching trans joy every day in your close friends like how does that come into your relationship with self-care
1: yeah I mean I feel like it comes really naturally because it just feels like it's kind of like an or like it just is Part of like how I operate in the world, like whether it's like people who I surround myself with, who are, like my friend, like Alicia Weigel comes to mind. She's like a massive, amazing intersex as uh, intersex activist here locally in Austin, and she's so plugged into the myriad of mutual aid organizations that are going on in Austin. And so I'm always like she moderated my um book event just like a week ago, and then it's like. And then I've had her on Getting Curious and she was our intersex expert on Getting Curious podcast. So it's like, like um, amplifying her voice and her experience and sending my resources her way so that people can find the work that she's doing because like mutual aid and community care as like activist community would think about it. Isn't what I do like day in and day out, but I do have a platform and I do have access and resources. So it's like, me using, like, my podcast, for instance, to, like, interview those folks and spread their messages is a big part of, like, how I run my podcast. Or even, like, social media, like, talking with people from, like, ten, like Trans Education Network Texas um, or, like, Mermaids UK with, like, Louis Asquith. That was, like, a couple years ago. But it's just, it's who I partner with mm-hmm. and who I elevate. Or, like, partnering with You Are Essential, which is an incredible mutual aid organization. Um like, just partnering with them, like, through JBN Hair, like, it's, it's, like, taking what I'm already doing and trying to connect and, and elevate community care and mutual aid, like, through work that I'm already doing. Does that make sense? Yeah, I that
0: love make- that. Yeah, totally. I think that's okay. a really great answer. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Um, I want to talk about the phrase, you're so brave,
1: because
0: uh, you mentioned in Love That Story how, although the comment is well-intentioned, it could come across as unintentionally cruel. Uh, I've gotten a it a lot and also you're an inspiration and at the end of my first book I wrote like don't tell me I'm brave tell me what you're going to do to change the world so that people like me don't have to be brave so what are your thoughts and feelings around this backhanded compliment of you're so brave or you're such an inspiration or
1: well I loved how you explained it because it was like a lot more clear and like uh you know it was really yeah what you said. No, I mean, I'm just, like, I'm over it. And it's, like, I'm also, like, having, like, I mean, I honestly, like, want to tattoo what you just said, like, on my arm or, like, not my face because it's, like, I just don't want it, like, on my face. It's, it's too like beautiful, such a decision. Yeah. But, like, like somewhere else, you know, like, just so people don't forget. It's, like, what are you doing? Yeah, it's, like, literally exactly what you said is how I feel about it. What are you doing to make this world, like, so that I'm not, like, an inspiration or brave for, like, living my best life, which is actually just being, like, a hot non-binary HIV slut who like has great fashion sense and is trying to make the world a better place who like, you know, like I said, has great fashion sense and like five cats and is like on a journey with their like addiction to fashion and impulse buying, which like you said, I generously talked about in this book, you know,
0: Yeah. I'm like, this is what I'm always saying. Like what is so inspiring about being a hot non-binary slut? Like just let me, let me live. My life. Hot.
1: Yes. Yes. You should just call me like hot and like interesting and smart. Yes.
0: Don't tell me I'm weird. Tell me, all, me I'm like, hot and, and of, Like smart.
1: acceptable. Yes. We need to start like a think tank on like how to teach the straights and like the cishet society like how to like deal. Like yeah, you I need want a less like on the board. Josh yes. Allen on the board like i honey we are like who wants to invest honey we're going public oh wait no i just took it to a capitalism place i didn't mean to Ew. <laughs> that's the, that's the look i'm a
0: capricorn the... so i am inclined to go that way sometimes but i understand i think that we need less workshops on how to be an ally and more on like how to well complement trans people
1: oh i thought you were gonna say like, less workshops on how to be an ally like more workshops on like how to be like hot sluts but then oh, well
0: also that and no, that. I would no. Okay, let's do that.
1: I, no I like your idea better. And no more binary choices. It's and. It's like always yes. both, and it's never or. It's like we need more workshops on how to compliment like trans people better, and how to be like a better, cooler trans ally, and how to be more like hot sluts generally, and like community. I'm down. Which is, like, I'm a into that. Because that also means about, like, radical transparency, communication, STI health. There's, like, so much there, which is so great. There's so wow. much
0: there. Okay, we need to create a workshop series. We'll we'll meet after this. It'll happen.
1: There is master class <laughs> for our new class. Oh, my God. <laughs> Look at the volume we would serve. Oh, my, oh my God. God.
0: Honestly, we would need so many Love hair it. products between us.
1: Oh, my God. Uh
0: Uh, I wanted to ask, like, what is one of your proudest moments in the last few years? You've done so much in the last
1: few years. Wow. I mean, honestly, not that, like, lists, like, matter, but, like, love that story. Making New York Times bestseller list was really major. And, like, I'm, like, getting an essay book is hard to make Mm -hmm. that list. And then getting one that's, like, about what mine's about and then having, like, the tour cut short and getting sick in the middle of it, I just, like really didn't see it coming and then making it was just like, Oh my God. And it means that people like it resonated with people and that people reached out and bought it. And that means that people are on a journey of doing some of the work that I'm doing, which I think is actually really important to our healing collectively. And so that was just, I was really proud of that. I'm also, I'm really all of my, all of my, and also like getting curious, like every, all of the podcast, all of the show has been, some of my like proudest work. Um, also, not to sound like cheeseball, but like my family. Some of my proudest work, like my husband and like our like the life that we built. It's like I'm so proud of like what we're doing and um and also not to be predictable, but like my friendship with Michelle Kwan is like one of my most. Oh, grateful that is
0: things. incredible.
1: Like, just really like, I do think my lucky star is like, and I that that seed got planted in Australia, which I'll never forget because she followed me back on Instagram and like, you know, validated my existence on this earth when I was on your great continent.
0: That's amazing. I love that. I was That's actually a in good fun fact.
1: I was oh. in Yoss. And all of the boys thought in the car, they really thought like someone close to me had been killed in like a tragic like, act, like, I, I, I screamed, <laughs> like, so loud and such a piercing scream that, like, it almost took the windows out. Like, Anthony and Karamo, who never jumps, like, visually, like, jumped and recoiled. <laughs> the Bobby was like, oh, my God, what's wrong? Are you okay? And I was like, we're talking about on Instagram. <laughs> and, like, I was, like, inconsolable. Like, Surely they understood that. Huh?
0: Surely they understood why you had oh, that reaction. Oh, no, they did. Like,
1: did I couldn't work for, like, 30 minutes, and it was a really <laughs> busy day. And, like, they were just like, girl, get it together. And I was, like, hyperventilating sobbing. Oh, my God, that's so good. And it's, so like, good. love Michelle Kwan my whole life, and then, like, becoming real-life friends with her. has just been like, what?
0: Yeah, that's how I feel about you, babe. That's how I feel right now in our blooming friendship. I could scream, but I might trying to be really low-key about it
1: one time someone told me that I was there, Michelle Kwan, on a poster at a comedy show, and it was actually too much, and I had to I was like, can you put that sign down? It's like too, the pressure. It's like, <laughs> I, but like so, I love you so much, and like, thank you for saying it, but like, I keep forgetting my lines every time, all of my, like, everything It's so fair.
0: I'm,
1: it's like, am I like, literally your Michelle Kwan? That's like so much
0: I love that like, I'm gonna um, save
1: your life? I didn't know, you know <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, so yeah. I recently did my first ever beginner's gymnastics class and what I discovered was that I have some major blocks and fears around literally everything. And, and like going
1: backwards and upside down. It's a lot. Yeah.
0: Upside down is so, I like literally we were just doing forward tumbles. Like we were just doing somersaults and I was like, I, I cannot, I cannot do that. And it took me a okay, really long time. That's true. Well, I did true. do it, so it, so I can, but then everyone applauded and I got really overwhelmed and it was too much for me. So I wondered, like, in your gymnastics journey and figure skating and all the cool things that you do with your body that maybe you thought you couldn't do with your body originally, like, how do you overcome those, like, big mental blocks and those, like, no fear Patience, moments? Patience,
1: persistence. Patience, persistence. I also do have fear Um, I will say, you know, you're not going to like this answer. (laughs) I do struggle with turning into, like, a stage parent (laughs) to myself. Mm -hmm. And I also look for that in my coach, too, which is not necessarily, like, healthy. I respond to, like, like, just squeeze your butt and engage your core and lean on the inside of the blade, you know, or like, you know, it's like if that, you know, for figure skating, or it's like, yeah. you know, I like, you know, cause I find like my figure skating coach, God lover, she'll be like, remember how I told you like to, you know, check to the left? It's like you're not checking. Do you wanna try integrating that feedback? And then I'm like, you know, it's like that. <laughs> it's just kind of, you know, I respond to that like to, the, you know, so that's her way. And right. then my gymnastics coaches are like, They're actually really loving, but I just, like, when, like, because Angel comes to gymnastics with me, you know, and, like, God, I'm obsessed with Angel from Queer. like, I love Angel. Oh, I
0: love Angel.
1: But, like, you know, sometimes, you know, I find myself being, like, stage parent, and I'm, like, I said squeeze your inner thighs, like, six times. You squeeze those inner thighs and do not roll over, okay? We are holding that handstand, all right? Like, like, we can do it. Let's go. Like, I just, you know, I get really, I'm a cheerleader, you know, who was born like right pre 90s and they age of bring it on. There's a lot of unlearning She's I have to She's do. tough, honey. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's a lot.
0: Yeah, I hear that. Um, I have a few more questions, but I also thought I don't want to like put you on the spot, but I wondered if maybe you wanted to do a little bit of a reading from Love That Story.
1: Yes.
0: I can ask you another question if you're not, if you like need a little bit of time to decide what you want to read, or do you have like a go to, I'm ready?
1: I think. Um, I think I feel ready. I just opened to, oh my God, I'm not picking my nose. You guys, I do feel like there's something fully in my nose. I got to get it out. Oh no, we're okay. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Okay, okay. Well, I opened to chapter four. It's like, just, it's just where the book opened. I feel like it's telling me where to start. So let's start here. Um, chapter, oh wait, should I just jump right in?
0: Yeah, go for it. Yeah, please. Okay.
1: Chapter four. Overcoming body issues and learning to love my gorgeous self. Or stop calling me brave. I'm hot. Yes. I never knew I was body positive. I was positively aware I had a body, but one I found unbearably undesirable to myself and from what I'd been told, definitely to other people. For much of my life, I couldn't find one thing about the way I looked that I enjoyed. It took me decades to accept my body and eventually celebrate it. As someone who is known for practicing self-love, I'm often unintentionally reminded of the double-edged sword of being associated with body positivity. People are constantly saying things to me like, you're so inspiring for wearing those crop tops and taking your shirt off. I can never do that. Or, I have an average body too. I struggle with confidence But then I see you and it gives me hope. Um, ew. Why does it have to be an act of bravery to wear what makes me feel good? Why would someone see this miraculous body that allows me to live my wonderfully best life and call it average? None of our bodies are average. And our desirability shouldn't be related to how the world at large views and labels them. Sadly, it took me a long time to realize this.
0: Oh, that was so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I love that because uh, your first book I listened to on audiobook, so you were reading to me, which was so fun. And then the second one I read to myself, but obviously heard your voice. But it's really nice to, like, actually hear your voice reading that part.
1: (laughs) Ah, of course. Thanks for asking.
0: (laughs) Yay! Um... I wanted to talk about cannabis legislation and legalization and the incredible section that you wrote in your book and all of the research and the history, which was fascinating, obviously, for me coming from Australia and not understanding or knowing that context. And I guess I wondered, like, where do you think that conversation is at at the moment? And do you you anticipate that there is going to be big change in the new future? I mean, there already has been a lot of change. Um, Yeah, yeah. What, what are your thoughts around that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I certainly hope so. I think that there are a couple bills floating around the House right now. There's a Republican-backed bill. There's a Democratic-backed bill. We'll, I mean, it's overwhelmingly popular nationally, but we'll see if there's like the political will to get it through what is like a very like tightly divided House and Senate. So we'll see what happens. But it's a matter of racial justice. It's a matter of um, racial equity. It's a matter of. Um, allowing marginalized communities to have more opportunities to thrive and benefit for once uh, from cannabis, which has been used as a curgel to like hurt and marginalize BIPOC people, specifically black people um, and brown people in the United States. So I also know that it's like a much wider issue. I know that like cannabis reform needs to happen in Australia. I know it needs to happen in the United Kingdom. I know that it needs to happen in every developed world because as long as something is, innocent as cannabis is being vilified and used to like separate families and throw people in jail we have a huge problem on our hands
0: Mm, yeah beautifully said thank you speaking of uh separating families memoir can be a pretty scary space to occupy when you are you know kind of revealing your skeletons out of the closet and they're not always your own obviously we speak to our family and like lots of other kind of interpersonal things. And I guess I just wondered, like, how was that for you speaking about such personal experiences? You know, you talk about your dad in your book, and I had a lot of issues with my dad writing my book. Um, So I just wondered, yeah, like, how did you negotiate some of the, the ethics of memoir writing and knowing what to leave on the cutting room floor and what to put in and how to be in your authenticity while also wanting to maintain those relationships
1: so what i did in love that story and actually in over the top is i allowed my um i had my mom and dad read any passage that's like specifically referred to them or like their parents um as you know especially for love that story so mm-hmm. i did have both of them like review the part not the entire book but like just the parts that concerned them or like their parents Um, and I did that, you know, ethically because I wanted to make sure that like they were comfortable with like that account being out and that they agreed with it. And, um, so that was what I did and it was actually like really, actually very healing. And I feel like my dad is actually really proud of this book and, you know, read it and approved of it before it came out. And I'm really proud of him because I feel like he's come a long way to say that he's proud of me and for writing that chapter. That's like a lot of... That's a lot of growth from, for him.
0: Wow. That's so beautiful. I'm so glad.
1: Yeah. Thank you.
0: I love that. Uh, all right, let's do, let's do the allyship question. Let's go over it as much as I, I roll my eyes at it sometimes, but you know, people want to know they want to be part, they want to be in solidarity. That's great. So what are some of your allyship tips and tricks? What did you wish people knew about how to stand in solidarity with queer people, with trans people?
1: Well, support queer authors, uh, support trans authors. So buy my book. Love that story. Buy your books because you have gorgeous books. Thank you. Um, So that's one thing. And I think that it's, I really think that it's like supporting queer creators and listening to uh, not only queer people who are authors, entertainers, storytellers, artists, activists, uh, you know, following those people on social media, supporting their work is a really good place to start because you can't really be an ally until you understand the issue more. And so I think a good place to start is by showing up and supporting queer artists, um, queer activists and queer entertainers and storytellers.
0: Mm. Yeah. And I'd love for you to speak a little bit. Oh, on and like- also
1: not voting for people and also, so sorry, and also not voting for people who seek to harm queer people. So making sure that you understand who you're voting for's policy on, like, access to HIV medication, uh, what their policy is for, like, any issue that would affect queer people, which, since queer people are also black, disabled, people of color, uh, it gives, you know, being queer is like an intersectional community. There's like a million, jillion different types of queer people. So if you really want to be an ally for a queer community, you have to be an ally for, like, women Pe- people men black brown asian latino everywhere like every country Like there's queer people everywhere honey so yeah. really be a queer ally means that like, you got to be an ally to like everybody. it's exhausting and, a great and if people start <laughs> i know that go. story
0: absolutely no, yes please i got it i got it I, <laughs> and i will tell you where in just a moment uh and I guess if people take those tips and tricks, what is a gender-liberated future that you imagine? What do you believe is is possible for us?
1: Well, I think that when we don't have the violence and the toxic masculinity befalling us that really is a direct result of the gender binary so often, I think that there is, like, the sky is the limit. I think that there's really nothing that we couldn't do when we aren't having to, like identify with these gender roles that are like killing everyone, um, in various ways. I mean, and not that like, you know, womanhood and manhood isn't what's killing people. It's a toxicity associated with the expectations and the societal pressure of those expectations and like the legislation that's like around those expectations that's killing people, um, and affecting people so deeply. So I think what a future of gender of, you know, gender or liberation for, uh, LGBTQIA plus people it looks like healthcare it looks like access to um, education it looks like it looks like people being able to be scientists or doctors or lawyers or chemists or hairdressers or whatever the whatever they want to do whatever they want to do honey like literally, whatever they want to do it's that it's like it's really like systemic change to allow opportunity for queer people
0: Mm, Yeah, I love that. Thank you. And what are some of the things that are coming up for you that you're feeling really excited about?
1: Well, I'm really excited about Love That Story right now. I'm really excited about some developing things that are coming to Australia, what I can't totally tell you totally about right now, but, like, there could be some, like, really amazing... I don't know, there could be, like, some really... Stunning, like, beauty products that, like, may or may not be coming to Australia that, like, I've heard about. I don't know. But I think, you know. Um, and then also, like, there might be this, like, really, like, cute, stunning, like, comedian who's coming to Australia. Oh, my goodness. I've heard good
0: things about them.
1: Um, So, maybe that could be happening. So, like, I'm really excited about those things. Um, then I have some other really exciting things that are happening that I can't talk about yet. But I am really excited about it.
0: I love all of these secret, exciting things. It's so good. Uh, Well, thank you so much for being here, for for your generosity in giving so much of yourself to your readership and for making one of my life goals come true in interviewing you. I love you so much. I love you too. And thank you to everyone who has joined us. I highly recommend getting a copy of Love That Story. Our online bookseller for this event is Hill of Content. You can buy JVN's book through them to be delivered anywhere in Australia. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, JVN. I've been Nivozisan.
1: Thank you, everyone. You've been listening to Nivosizen in conversation with Jonathan Van Ness a digital event originally recorded and released in May 2022 as part of the Wheeler Centre's Postcards from Abroad series. The Wheeler Centre podcast is produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri and people of the Kulin Nation. You can listen to more podcasts or explore videos, news and our full calendar of events at wheelercentre.com.